Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Let me turn your attention to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to be reading here today verses 17 through 19. All right, are you there? 2 Samuel chapter 10. If you have your Bible, read along with me. If you don't, please. Look at one of the oversized screens. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan, came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians. That's a a lot. And 40,000 horsemen. That's a lot. And smote Shobach, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarazer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. That's where we will stop today. I feel such direction from the Lord to minister on this thought, the invasive nature of sin. The invasive nature of sin. I would ask that you would pray with me here today. How many believe that sin does not have to be allowed to control anyone's life? You're a believer, so you don't... We don't believe that sin should be allowed to rule us. But there's only one answer to sin. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. And I'm not sure who the Lord has sent here. But I will tell you, I know the Lord has sent me to talk to this body today. Would you pray with me that his word would do its work? God, I pray you'd help us here today. We can't accomplish anything without your help. I want to do my best with wisdom and clarity to share your word. I pray that you would bless these people, that you would strengthen them, encourage them. Let there be anointing on the words I speak. I I do want to speak with passion, but I don't think my job here is to entertain. My job here is to relay, to relay your word. And I pray that we would be cheerful recipients of your word today. 
We ask for your help in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. You may be seated here today. This is kind of a tough title, so I won't have you tell your neighbor. I don't know that anyone wants you to look at them first thing in the morning and say the invasive. In fact, if you had to hear my title and you didn't get coffee this morning, my apologies. It was in 1876 and it took place in Philadelphia. It was the World Fair. It was an incredible, magnificent occurrence. The slide that you will see on the screen behind me of this Amazing gathering in Philadelphia. It had set the stage for people all over the world to come together. And it would be a market of sorts. It would be here in 1876 that some of the most fundamental everyday things we use would be introduced. For example, those of you that are a little too obsessed with ketchup. <laughs> ketchup people, you know who you are. If you're one of those people who wants ketchup on everything, we're going to pray for you right here and right now. If you put ketchup on steak, please raise your hand. I feel your spirit. I know you're here. If you put ketchup on mac and cheese, raise your hand. I feel you. I knew, you're here. I knew you were here. And you know what? And they're proud of it. A couple of people that raised their hand just now were like, say something. I dare you to say something. Catch up, people. If you don't know this, you have 1876 in the World Fair in Philadelphia to be thankful for the introduction. Now, we've come a little ways. I think that bottle is still available, though. Have you ever tried to get ketchup out of a glass bottle? You break your knuckle in the process trying to get that out of the bottle. Another thing that we are not sure if we're happy or not about that was introduced. There was this guy named Alexander Graham Bell, and he introduced this thing called a telephone at the 1876 World Fair, for which most of us are thankful, unless you have a kid with a cell plan. The devil is a liar. <laughs> the only the only time you're thankful for that cell plan is when you need to get a hold of them. Other than that, you're not real thankful. I almost hate to say this, but it's almost Valentine's Day, so you can make up for it. Does anyone have a spouse who has a phone, just never answers the phone? Ooh, I feel witness in the room. Has there ever been a man in this room 
that out loud said those words. I don't even know why she has a phone. I don't even know. I don't understand. I was standing near Pastor Lopez one time and I tried to call my wife and she didn't answer. So I tried to call her again because the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect a separate result. But I didn't care. Three times in a row I called, went to voicemail. Hello. And the voice sounded so nice, but I didn't want to be nice. <laughs> Hello, you've reached the voicemail. And I looked over and he was just smirking. <laughs> he said, I'm glad it's not just me. But thank you, Alexander Graham Bell. You've helped us. You've brought us a long way. But one of the one of the not so celebrated introductions that took place at the same World Fair in 1876 in Philadelphia was the result of the Dust Bowl. It was the result of fields that had been dealing in hillsides that had been dealing with erosion. And so the Japanese there introduced seedlings for a plant. Many of you know it already by the smallest look there on the screen, but the seeds were that of a vine called kudzu. They brought that kudzu seedling to the 1876 fair and they introduced it to America as a way to end erosion. The problem was that they did not really have the ability to teach what happens with kudzu when kudzu takes root. If you look at the next picture, you will see that kudzu, once it begins to grow, it just keeps growing. In fact, it is one of the most invasive species of vine that it will completely take over homes and grow over buildings. And you will see that it has the ability to consume what was once there. It was some 20 years ago I heard a minister make a statement that this last week came to me in prayer. It had been some 20 years ago that I heard him say it and I did not understand it, but that preacher said these words, sin is a lot like kudzu. And I didn't get it, but I get it now. Because all it takes is a little foothold and in the driest of climates or the wettest of climates, in the most overwhelming of sun or in the darkest of areas, any time it gets a foothold, it will begin to grow. And once it starts to grow, it is overwhelming and consuming. In fact, anyone that is from the South, you're probably well acquainted with kudzu because here in America, it is known as the vine that ate the South. It consumes hundreds of acres in the United States of America. It does damage to electrical wires. And in fact, our government has to spend millions of dollars on an annual basis trying to cut away the invasive vine from things on which it does not belong. But once it starts growing, it doesn't ask anyone's opinion on what it takes. 
How many know that sin is that way? I said it here last week from this very spot, and it is from the foundation of that statement that I will move forward. It's a statement that most of us have heard, and I feel so strong the Lord would have me deliver to this crowd today. Sin has a tendency to take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. It will, in fact, grow and consume and destroy. And if you are not careful, what started with one small attraction will turn into a fair. What started with one small happy hour will turn into alcoholism. Now, for those that think I'm being dramatic, I would remind you that the wages of sin is death. Now, we have good news that the gift of God is what? Eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that's the kicker. Jesus Christ offers that eternal life. He offers that salvation, but just because Jesus Christ offers it does not mean everyone takes him up on it. This is an application-based faith. And the same way with kudzu, unless you, unless you do whatever it takes by all means necessary. In fact, many have gone to mass treatments where they know we're going to kill some other stuff in the process, but we have to kill this kudzu. We have to till the ground over. We have to burn it over, and then you'll find it's a little humorous, but most of them where it's become so invasive, they got to buy a thing of goats to keep it under control. I'll tell you what happens when sin grows rampant in a life. It just begins to take over every part of the life. When sin gets in your heart, it'll take over your eyes. It'll take over your mouth. It'll take over your hands. Your hands will get involved in things they would not have got involved in. Your feet will carry you to places that they would not carry you to otherwise. Your heart will delight in things that it would not delight in otherwise. Sin is a destructive force. Its desire is to eliminate you from the very presence of God. In fact, I would submit to you that sin separates us from the presence of God. It's very desire. And I, I know that I say nature, not as a theological word, but as a word that we can understand. The nature of sin is to take us and pull us and separate us and isolate us and so overwhelm us that we have a city full of people that feel so overwhelmed by life's dilemmas and by big decisions and by the overwhelming atrocities of life that we find ourselves so consumed that surely there is no answer. And it starts with a little seed. It starts with a little thought. It starts with a little inclination. It is in chapter 10, this chapter which I read before you today, the heroism of David. Anyone that would say David was not a man of war doesn't know your Bible at all. David was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior. He was a fighter. He was able to overcome that Goliath. With what? With the name of the Lord, with a sling, with a stone. He was able to overcome Goliath. 
We know that in chapter 10, he was able to put all these chariots and all these horsemen to flight. He was able to send them in such a way that our last verse we read, verse 19 says that they made peace with Israel and they served them and the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon. Stick with me for a second. We're in this place where David has so subdued this enemy that fear has stretched into their hearts and peace has been accomplished. How is it we are one verse away from chapter 11 when springtime comes and the Bible says in chapter 11 and verse 1, it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab. Anytime you get too comfortable in your victories, you might stop fighting. And anytime you stop fighting, you give the opportunity for sin to take a foothold. Say, Pastor Carson, let's go. Get a little more passionate. The Lord told me I'm not allowed to entertain you today. I'm here to tell you if you don't get it right, sin's taking you to hell. That's why I'm here. It's my only job today. David stays home when he should have been. How many friends do we know? How many family members have we had that if, if they'd have stayed in the fight, if they had just kept praying, if they would have just kept fasting, but they got isolated from the body, they got isolated from the family, they got isolated from fasting, they got isolated from prayer. You better hear me right now. When prayer goes, sin comes. It is an inevitable reality. You can't wear that flesh and not be a man or a woman of prayer and discipline and sin, not become like kutzu that begins to grow and grow and grow. Now, we might not see it at first. We might not see it in your attire. We might not see it in your, in, 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 in your actions at first, but it'll come out in the form of a little bit of a word here and there. It will come in the form of a question. It will be a subtle beginning. In fact, in sin's infancy, when we first see its introduction, we see it in the garden. They are in the most lush and the most beautiful place that ever existed, but the introduction of sin in this moment of weakness in Genesis chapter 3 is when that subtle serpent moves up among them and begins to question the word of God. And I will tell you that when the seed is planted, it is most often precisely planted in such a way that it brings question to the word of God. The kings have gone to battle. Brother Barkus, this is the time when David should, he should go ahead and put his weapons together. He should go ahead and gird himself up as a king. Kings are going to battle. I know maybe he's tired. I know maybe he is a, he's a little bit weary. And we read in chapter 10, he's just had great victory. But if I try to win today on yesterday's victory, come on, you can't overcome today's temptation because you how many know that every day 
We talk about the mercies of God being new every day. You know why you need those mercies every day? Do you know that his mercies wouldn't be new every day if you didn't need them? How many know that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to need the mercy of God? And it's not the popular part of David's life, but it's important for us to know that while kings are fighting, David is at home and wanders out onto the rooftop. And with our kids in class, I'm going to talk about this. There is temptation in the form of a beautiful woman. The Bible says she's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. She is unclothed and she is bathing herself. And David is enamored. Not because David's a ranked sinner. He's a dude. I don't think that's. He's in the wrong place. At the wrong time. He should have been fighting. He should have been at war. But because of his own apathy. Apathy reveals appetite. His apathy to fight revealed his appetite for something that did not belong to him and that he should not be desiring. And I will tell you this, it was not sin that he accidentally saw her. It was sin that he continued to watch. And he allowed, watch this, like one little seed of kudzu. He allowed one little seed to come through his eyes, which are the light of the body. He allowed them to come in through the eyes, and then it got into his heart, and it began to get in his mind, and this, this one-foot interaction between heart and mind, and, and it began to consume her. And before long, he has gone from seeing her to calling for her. All the while, he should have been sweaty on the battlefield. He should have been standing near his men. Her own husband, Uriah, he should have been closer to him. He should have been more in proximity to the battle than the bath, but he wasn't. But when you get out of the fight, you open yourself up to the seed of sin. And when the seed of sin begins to come in, those intrusive thoughts begin to grow. But can't you watch it? Can't you see it? Put that picture of Kutzu back up there growing over that house. I want you to think of it because of how many times in Scripture we hear it referenced even as the house of David. One seed. One visual. You know how many men I've had to counsel with over the last 20 years because it was one image? Not just men, women too, but men. And, and, and David saw what he shouldn't have seen because he wasn't where he should have been. And that one seed began to grow in the house of David, but before it was ever recognized on the outside, it was growing on the inside. Before it ever took over his life, it had taken over his heart and his mind and consumed him. And we're about to watch such a sprouting forth of sin in his life. He's going to call for a married woman. Not only is he going to call for her, they're not going to have tea. They're going to have an illicit affair. And through that affair, Bathsheba is going to send word to him that she is pregnant. So not only has he watched what he shouldn't have watched, but now he's entertained what he shouldn't have entertained. And then he acted upon that lust. And lust when it is... He acts upon that lust and then that lust brings conception and there is a child. And so watch how many know that when you entertain sin, it will lead you to a place of deception. So he calls for Uriah. Bring him back. Bring him back, Joab. Send him back. And so he brings him back. But Uriah as a, Uriah as a basic foot soldier has more integrity than David as a king. 
And Uriah would not go in unto his wife knowing that the men in battle are out there fighting and battling. Let me just pause here and tell you, no matter what you ever see anybody do, don't you stoop to do lesser. Don't you stop doing what you know is right and what you know is righteous. Don't, don't you validate your actions because a father or a mother or a grandfather or a king of this world... That's why we can't live our lives based on what the president does or what the kingdom does or what we pray God's blessing upon them, but they don't dictate whether or not we do what's right. We live according to this word. And Uriah would not bow to that. In fact, he would not go in unto his wife. And, 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 and we understand that there takes great restraint and unbelievable integrity almost to a questionable place that we don't get it. But that deception where David is trying to send him in unto his wife, he wants it to be a cover-up. How, how, how deceptive have you become? Oh, how the kitsu has begun to cover the house of David, how it's begun to cover your heart and your mind that you want to send a weary soldier into his wife so that he can somehow be deceived that the baby in her womb is his. And I'm telling you, if he would have went unto his wife, we would read the story entirely different, but he wouldn't go in unto his wife. And, and you understand, we're adults in this room, the nature of this story. And so since he would not, David has to send a letter. It has gone from not being where he should have been. It's one seed of weariness. It's one seed. And I'm going to tell you, when you get weary, the enemy will take it. If you stop finding your rest in him, he will do his best to take advantage of you. We read in Genesis that, that the Lord walked with them. We know that they walk with him. When did that subtle serpent show up? The time we watch him show up is when they're not walking with the Lord. Get yourself separated. He'll show up. How many know it's true? And so here we are. David has tried deception. It didn't work. So he sends that letter to the front line. In, in, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, he sends that letter to the front line. And now it's not that Joab should return home, but put him on the front line. He goes from one look. Brother John, he's gone from looking at Bathsheba to killing her husband. Because the seed grew. Sin grows. Sober, calm, intentional. Hear me. Sin devours. Nathan would walk into David. And he would begin to speak an elaborate story, a story that is overwhelming, where a, 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 a rich has taken from the poor and David's heart is so moved. There is such conviction. There is such frustration until Nathan says, you're the God. How many know that we have to be thankful that there was a moment for each and every one of us where somebody, some preacher, some prophet, some man, or some woman of God stood in front of us and said, sin is killing you. For somebody in this house today, you showed up, and I don't know exactly what you're into, but I do know that God wrecked me this week and told you what you're dealing with right now is only the tip of the iceberg. 
But that picture back up there of that house that's consumed, I know that you think it's only one action once a week or it's only one flirtatious text message or it's only one DM on social media. You think it's just a little thing. This is what's coming. Because if sin gets its way, the invasive nature of sin, he's going to take your marriage. He's going to take your mind. He's going to take your heart. He's going to destroy everything you've been working Pastor, that's a little depressing. Why are you preaching that? Because when Nathan told him there was a repentance that came on the heart of David, there was a moment there in the actions of David where David recognized, I don't have to be bound by this. I need the mercy of God. And I have good news for everyone in this room. Mercy is still available. Mercy is still available. I want us to do just a little bit of homework together. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. And because it's a little smaller book, go ahead and put your other finger in 1 John chapter 1. Romans chapter 5. And then 1 John chapter 1. Are you okay? How many know sin wants to destroy our kids? How many know sin wants to consume our homes? It is the invasive nature of sin. It's introduced as a help, but it's really a destruction. Romans chapter 5, verses 19, 20, and 21. For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners. We know this is the fall of the first Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Not my will, but thy will be done. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I need you to get a visual of that kitzu. I need you to get a visual of that house that's been wrecked and been destroyed. I, I need you to get a visual of the, of, the, of the way that addiction has taken over that home or torment has taken over that. And I need you to hear me. And I, I need hell to hear what we believe here today where sin abounded. Paul, how can you write this? I was there when we held Stephen's coats. I, I, I was there. I was there when we stoned him. I was there. I know what it is to look in the eyes of mothers and, and, and wives and children. I know what it is to persecute the body of Christ. If anybody knew what it was to be a part of sin, Paul said, I know what it is to feel the effects of sin and watch it take over. But you hear me, Rome. Where's sin? And you imagine him writing this to the house at Rome during that time where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace remain through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Before we move to 1 John, I want to tell you that you have the ability to live without the effect of sin in your life. You have the ability to live without the shackles of sin upon your life. Even if you've grown up in the church, you hear me today because you might have been in church for the last 50 years. Guess what? Tomorrow morning, if you 
you wake up in flesh, sin is going to want to come after you and, and going to want to put a little seedling into your heart. But that's why you get up tomorrow morning and you say, wait a minute, where sin abounds, grace is much more able. And so I call on the name that is above every name. I call on the name of Jesus Go with me to the book of 1 John. I will quickly land this plane. 1 John chapter 1, if you will. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We do not the truth. Verse 7. Pause. When we, when we find ourselves in Christ, we're supposed to live like it. We don't walk around cussing it up like everybody. We don't walk around talking on people. Well, that was weak. I'll stay there. We don't annihilate people on Facebook. Pastor, do we have a problem with that? No, we just have a problem with being human. So we have to remember that we, we can't walk in darkness when we walk in light. You gotta, we choose one or the other, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from what? Certain sin, particular sin. First generation sin. There is not a sin. <gasps> there is not a sin dark enough. There is not a devil big enough. There is not a problem so great that the blood of the lamb, not a lamb, the lamb, not an Old Testament lamb or a dove, the lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, it cleanseth us from all sin. If that doesn't do something for you, you do need repentance. I, I'm not, you don't have to stand, you don't have to clap. It better do something for you. It better do something. It better put thanksgiving. That's where I'm at with this. It puts, it puts thanksgiving. How do I get rid of sin? It's the blood. It's the blood. How many remember the Old Testament when the death angel was coming? They had to take the blood of the lamb and they had to apply it and put it. That's why we're unapologetic even in 2024 when we walk through our home saying, I plead the blood of Jesus. I, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood over my babies. I plead the blood over my spouse. I plead the blood over my family. I plead the blood. Devil, Devil, get away from us. Get behind us. Sin, get out of our home. It cleanses us. Verse 8. Can we go on? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth? <sighs> Listen. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand, but just maybe give me one of these. Just like real subtle nod if you've ever sinned. Just give me. Like you're bidding at an auction but don't want to be outbid. Just, just give me a minute. 
Come on, some of you ought to be like a bobbing dog. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins. Pastor Carson, who do we want in this church? Everybody. Everybody. Yeah, but what about the ones that everybody? We're not going to leave them as sinners. If they'll get in this house, we will preach repentance. We'll preach the blood of Jesus. And he's able to take you from what you were and turn you into what you can be. It won't be the singing. It won't be the preaching. It'll be the blood. It'll be the blood of a lamb. It'll be the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? That's why when they got pricked in their heart in Acts chapter 2, Brother Trano, he preached Jesus so long. The Bible says they got pricked in their heart and said, fine, what do we do? And he said, I'm glad you asked. Repent. Imagine. That is the first thing that you tell to a, a bunch of devout people. You need to turn from who you are. I don't care how much money you, offer me, you make. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care if you live in a one-room shack or you live in the penthouse downtown. You hear me right now. You got to turn from sin and to him. Peter said you repent. And he didn't stop there. What did he say? Be baptized who? All sin, everyone. There's some bad people. There's some bad people. Good news. The dude preaching was cussing like a handful of scriptures ago. I wouldn't even let him in the... But we watch Jesus restoring and say, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You got to turn from what you've been. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? I'm telling you right now, there are backsliders, there's prodigals, but there's also individuals that you wouldn't even relegate them as a prodigal. But somewhere many, many years ago, grandma pulled them up on their knee and told them about the love of Jesus Christ. And they haven't felt love and they haven't felt peace for the last 20, 30, 40 years. But I guarantee you this one moment in the presence of How many know we don't care if they dress the part? We don't care if they got it all together. We just need to get them in the house. We need to get them to repentance. We need to get them in the baptismal. I got news for you. If you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't been here, you can't see it hardly because it's dark up there. But we'll turn the lights on. We got everything you need to be baptized. You didn't have to bring clothes. It ain't like the old days. We give you stuff. We even send you away with stuff. <clears throat> Send you away with why? Because you got to be baptized. Why? The Bible says for thee. Yeah, but I got a lot of sin. Let me. I, I got to land this plane, boy. This is one of them tough times for me. See, when I start slow, it's a problem. Here's Hebrew Old Testament. Eight different ways it says sin. Translates eight different Hebrew words as sin. New Testament, 12, 10 or 12 different words. Sin. Brother Herbs, eight. 
I'm, I'm not a real mathematician. What's 8 plus 12? <coughs> Somebody say 15. You're not either. 8. 8 plus 12. 20. 20 different ways of categorizing between the Hebrew and the Greek and the Old and the New Testament. But I got good news. 20 different ways to call it sin. There's only one name needed. You can't be baptized unto Paul. You can't be baptized unto Apollos. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But it's for the remission of sins. It takes everything you were and it turns you into what you're meant to be. When you're baptized, you're buried with him in baptism. And all the sin and the invasive sin nature, it, woo! Anybody in the room been baptized and you're glad about it? You're glad about it? Sin had a stranglehold like kudzu on you, but baptism? Stand, stand with me. Oh, throw your hands towards heaven with me and begin to magnify the Lord. Come on, begin to thank him for his blood. Begin to thank him for baptism. Come on, he said, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How many know the Holy Ghost give you power to live above sin? Thank you, Jesus. Ah. Uh, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. <laughs> Acts twenty two sixteen. Sorry, that was my sing till I get there. Acts twenty two sixteen's come to my mind. And now, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. What am I going to do with this invasive nature of sin? Good news. You can get rid of it. But not by might, not by your own power, not by your own ability. but because of the Lamb of God. Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because He's faithful and He's just. Because baptism is more than a tradition. If you're watching online, if you're one of these churches that watches online, baptism is salvific in nature. It is, it is a necessity. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the only way the early church baptized. It is a necessity. It is critical. When John didn't want to baptize Jesus, he said it has to happen. Throw your hands towards heaven all over the room. I'm preaching about sin. This is an invasive topic. Come on, while some of you, you think, man, I, I've already applied this. I don't need this. There's others in here that sin's trying to wreck your entire home. You got on your suit, but sin's got your mind. You're wearing your dress, but sin's wearing your heart. 
I'm asking the church to pray for a minute. Pray that there'd be great liberty in this moment. Woo! I'm calling the entire body to repentance right now. Let's repent. Whether it's at your pew or you come to the altar, it doesn't matter. I'm asking every man, every woman, from the altar to the pew, to anyone in the foyer listening, I'm asking everybody, the balcony, the main level, those watching us live online, I'm, I'm asking for repentance in the living room. I'm asking, God, forgive me. I confess my faults to you. The seed of sin keeps wanting to grow and invade. It's trying to invade my thoughts. Trying to take over my actions. It's affecting my eyes, not just how I see others, but it's really started to change the way I see myself. curse lies of the enemy. I curse the stronghold of sin. I hope there's people that are baptized. I hope that people receive the Holy Ghost in the next few minutes. But I'm telling you right now, I want to join heaven's happiness with repentance in this moment. Come on, nobody knows like you and God. Forgive me, oh God. I've been on the rooftop when I should have been at war. Some of you are in a string of actions like David that nobody knows about, but if you're not careful, history's going to record. Forgive us, oh God. Come on, the psalmist would later cry, purge me with his... Find the intricate places of my spirit, oh God. Find every back alley of my heart, every hidden file. Search me in such a way that I would surrender to you. I need some seasoned saint to say, God, if there's anything in my heart, if there's anything in my mind, come on, you've been living for God a long time, but you tell him afresh if there's anything. If there's anything, just one seed of sin planted. Got everything under control but my tongue. Got everything under control but I... Still struggling a little bit with what I post. I got everything under control, but I, there's this little seed of bitterness. I got everything under control, but I got this little, little part of me that likes to lie and it's growing. This, Come on, whatever it is. God, help us take care of it. I want you to confess before the Lord. I got to have your help. 
I want the church to go with me right now. I want you to begin to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. 